Amen. That is our desire that the earth is filled with the glory of the Lord, even as the prophet Isaiah uh, long ago recorded that um, when he saw the Lord seated in his temple in the train of the robe, uh, filled the temple with glory, and the whole earth was filled with his glory. And that is our desire now as we have become the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Everywhere we go, the glory of God goes. It's an amazing biblical theme that we just sang about there through the church. And uh, we had a unique opportunity last week uh, to be the church of Linden at the fairgrounds. And so um, many of you were over there sweating like crazy while I was enjoying the cool breeze of being in the shade. You know, that was pretty good. I felt bad for those of you out in the sun. I had the opportunity to, to be part of a preaching team at the fair service last week. And Shane, uh, I watched your sermon last week. You did a phenomenal job of Psalm 4. I'm going to utilize some of that here. And you wore a suit and tie, man. That's, that's impressive on a hot, sunny Sunday. Um, but uh, I honestly, seriously, a lot of people asked me how my experience was, and it was really a cool opportunity. But it, honestly, I really did miss this community of people. It was fun to have a massive community of people, but there's a little bit of a disconnect when you're on stage and there's, you know, however many people are out there kind of far off in the distance. And um, I was really kind of lonely last week. Um, I actually walked out and started greeting people because I started feeling lonely. I was like, where's my people at? So I went, some of you saw me, I was like the only one at the gate walking people in. I was like, hey, somebody I know, you know. So uh, but it was an awesome opportunity, but I really did miss the connection that uh, really can only take place in a smaller gathering, smaller community of people. And so I'm thrilled to be back here today to open up God's Word and see what it has to say for us today. Um, as you know, we, we're moving forward in our summer in the Psalms series, and we find ourselves in Psalm 5 today. Um, Shane, like I said, did a fantastic job helping us understand Psalm 4 last week. Psalm 4 contains eight short verses, and it was to be set to music so that we could connect with the content and it could have long-lasting resonance in our hearts as we read them. A lot of the psalms were written to the choir master or for the flute or whatever, right? It was written so that we might sing these things and they could just kind of resonate in our hearts and kind of sit deep there. And think about Psalm 4, how it ended. I hope that you saw this. It's, it's amazing. With this amazing short verse, Psalm 4, verse 8 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. What a great verse. Maybe you need to have that like on the bedside table next to you, right? Just the day is over. I can just rest and sleep, right? What a great final verse, and that's actually the second time in the Psalms when you read David going to sleep and trusting himself and his well-keeping to his capable and faithful creator, despite his difficult circumstances. That's the second time we see it, because we also saw it in Psalm 3 as well. Psalm 3 verse 5 says, I lay down and I slept, I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. So, so from very early on in our psalms here, we've already seen it twice, we see David having a sense in his mind that God is big enough in David's mind that David could experience physical rest for his body and really spiritual rest for his soul. Two times already in these psalms we're going to see that. And what we're going to hear from David 
time and time again in the Psalms is that based off of what David knows of God's character, he can trust him with the circumstances he finds himself in. Based off of what David knows about God's character, David says, I'm going to let him be God here. I'm going to just rest. And it's going to come up over and over again. It's like on repeat, all right? So we're going to see this a lot as we travel through the Psalms. And so here's a very dated reference for only those in your 30s and 40s will get. It will be like when your anti-skip technology failed on your Discman, right? Do you remember that? You know, your Discman was in your fanny pack. Do you remember that, right? And you went and worked out in the gym and the anti-skip technology didn't work anymore. What happens? It's like, na 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 You know, it just kind of, it just sticks right there on that one beat, right? Sometimes we play CDs at our house every once in a while, and it will start skipping, and all of a sudden, you know, kind of our favorite folk artists will turn into like a heavy metal band and a punk rock group, right? It's like, da 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 Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, for a more dated reference, for those of you that had record players, okay, when your stylus was dirty, right? Or the, seat, the record was warped a little bit, and it just kept playing the same thing over and over and over again. You're like, stop it, right? That's what anti-skip technology tried to prevent failed miserably at, all right? But you're going to hear the same thing over and over and over again in the Psalms of David. And it's really kind of amazing because this is a little bit like what we see with David. It's just like over and over and over on repeat. We're going to hear some of the same things on repeat as we read and study the Psalms over the summers, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And the reason these things are on repeat in the Psalms is because of the realness and the rawness of life. David had real problems in his life. And we do too. David had real difficulties. And we do too. We shouldn't grow tired or annoyed with these things on repeat over and over again. Reading about David's troubles, we're meant to identify with him in them. So in Psalm 3, we're going to see David resting in God's plans for him, even plans that included hardships. In Psalm 4, we see David sleeping, dwelling in safety, even when the storms of adversity are surrounding him. And today in Psalm 5, we're going to see what David does when he wakes up from that restful sleep. Psalm 5 is amazing. It's kind of like the morning after the storm. And what we see David doing is repeating what he did the day before. He cried out to God yet again for help. So in Psalm 5, verse 3, before we read the whole passage, look at what it says. O Lord, in the morning, in the morning, the last two Psalms ended with him sleeping. And then Psalm 5 says, look, in the morning, what's he doing? You're going to hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and I watch. Essentially, Psalm 5 is David saying, hey God, it's me again. Remember me from last night. I still need you. I need some daily bread down here. I have another 24 hours to go through, and I dare not do it on my own. So here's the morning. Here's my voice. Attend to me. This is life, right? Man, if we could have string some days together, but so often they don't get strung together. 
right? It's day of, the only thing we string together is days of difficulties. This is life. This is us. It's like the words of the old hymn. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. How long? Every hour I need thee. So oh, bless me now, my Savior, because what? I'm going to come to thee. That's what David is going to do on repeat throughout the Psalms. And we're not to grow annoyed with him. We're to identify with him in the plethora of all these psalms of lament. So let's read Psalm 5 together and give ourselves to the preaching, teaching, and obeying this word as David says this to us in Psalm 5. To the choir master, once again, something to be sung. For the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. The throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. For you... Bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Let's pray. God, we want to once again give ourselves to hearing, receiving, um, believing, and obeying your word. And God, that can only come uh, by the movement of your spirit. And so God, I pray that your spirit would work powerfully now as we've read your scripture and as we take on this topic of biblical lament, how it's applicable to our lives today, I pray that it would be something that brings pleasure to you and that your children can find authentic relationship with you because we've given ourselves to this word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going we're gonna to kind of teach through Psalm 5, but we're going to do it a little bit differently today. Um, we're going to address the topic of biblical lamenting. Um, so we're going to take, take the Sunday, really, to kind of touch on, touch on biblical lament, teach on it, and we're going to use Psalm 5 as kind of a template for that, and we're going to see it on repeat over and over again. I came across a few sentences um, a few weeks back as I was doing some just general reading on the Psalms, preparing for, you know, the next 15 to 18 years as we're in this sermon series, um, just in the summers, just in the summers, okay? Uh, but this is a great quote, the Psalms are true history. Fulfilled prophecy and enduring praise. The book of Psalms is a school of prayer. It's a fountain of truth and a revelation of God himself. This is what resonated with me. 
We will not master this book, the book of Psalms, but oh, that it might master us, becoming the pulse to which our hearts beat, the soil in which our souls take root. We will not master this book, but oh, that it might master us, becoming the pulse to which our heart beats. We're going to see David talk about this over and over again. It's like a pulse. It's like we're going to keep going back to this theme, the theme of lament. And I think that one of the ways that we need to be mastered most by this word is how we respond to things when they don't seem to be going our way. We need to be mastered when those things happen to us. Lamenting is the prescription that God has given us, and guess what? It is a gracious, gracious gift that he has given. It's hard to determine exactly how many psalms of lament there are. Shane mentioned last week, 65. Some of the studies that I've done is like 59. It's really kind of hard, one of those One of those hard things to specifically categorize because so many psalms are a mix of things, right? But the point is this, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Let me show you a graphic real quick, okay? So if you see this, this is all the psalms that we have in our Bible. There we go. So these are all of them, right? So when you look at the lament psalms, they take up a majority of them. They make up a majority of our hymn book, of our song book in the Bible. The lament psalms are the largest category that we find. More than praise, more than thanksgiving combined. Do you hear that? More than praise and thanksgiving combined are lament. And if you finally add the hymn category in there, they basically even each other out. Those are the lament psalms. They are psalms that you can go to when you're feeling down and out. It's like God says, here is a bottle of 59 pills that have been prescribed for what ails you. Take a few of these and call me in the morning. This graphic is amazing to me. More than praise, more than thanksgiving is psalms of lament. So purely from a mathematical perspective, from a statistical perspective, do you know what this abundance of psalms tells me? It tells me this, that one-third, over one-third of the time that we address God, we're more than likely prompted to do so because of some sort of problem has surfaced in our life. Does that not just scream out, relevant to you? This word is so relevant. One-third of the Psalms, in fact, over one-third of the Psalms, give us a template to admit that we don't have everything in our life together and we need God. 40%, actually 39.3333333, that number, right? 40% of the time that we talk to God in the Bible, in the Psalms, We do so, or the saints are doing so, because they have a desire to tell them a piece of their mind or a piece of our mind and what we're experiencing. More than thanking him, more than praising him, more than the psalmist royally enthroning God as king, they are questioning his plans for their lives. Does anyone relate? 
Does anyone relate? God, why? Why is this happening? Why is this? Do you see what's happening? Why? Where are you? When is this going to end? Does anyone relate with that? that that's, that's often our prayer. So this gift of lament is an amazing gift that God has given. These psalms of lament document the psalmist's emotions as they've been initially inspired and perpetually preserved throughout time by the Holy Spirit of God. They're presented to us all in 59 gift boxes daily as we open up this word. And it says I'm relevant to what you're going through. For what you're going through, here's, there's something for what ails you. Lamenting admits that there are hard things in our lives, but that there is a figure that looms larger in our hearts than our hardships, and that very figure is God. Lamenting ensures that we don't let our trials, which are so many, go to waste. Lamenting admits that we can be honest and authentic with God, and it allows God to prove his goodness and his faithfulness to us. In the midst of them. So, we need to let the biblical author's experience be our experience so that we can find the rest that they found in the midst of their trials through the practice of lament. So that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at this idea. And there's actually a formula to look for. Now, saying that, I don't think that any individual author sat down with a quill and some parchment and then consulted a set of rules or a formula to encapsulate in writing what they were feeling. I think it was more organic and raw than that, but nevertheless, most of the lament psalms we find in the Bible have similarities to them, and those similarities are what I want to point out to you today. And so there's a very simple acronym for us to remember some of those similarities. And what I'm about to say in this next segment, there's a chance that you will remember it forever, okay? So let's get ready for this. When you think of the Psalms of Lament, I want you to think of the acronym TCAT, okay? TCAT. And if that doesn't stick, think of the word Thundercat, all right? Thundercat. What are you going to think of? Thundercat, all right? When you think of biblical lament, I want you to think of T-cat or thundercat, all right? Now, it doesn't happen as often in the, mid, or in, the, in the Pacific Northwest as it did in the Midwest, but as lightning shoots through the sky, do you know what happens? It cuts a path through the air, and it does so rapidly, and it heats up and expands that air, and it travels through, and it creates a sonic shockwave that's really, really noisy and really hard to ignore. What am I talking about? Thunder, boom, right? I miss that about the Midwest, right? Mandy, you've gotten some Oklahoma thunderstorms, right? There you go. It's like this power, like, whoa, this is amazing. That's what lament is like. The heat is on. The pressure's rising. Something must be done. Boom, and we cry out to God. And if Thundercat or T-Cat doesn't work, And it's not as memorable for you. Maybe you'll be able to remember this crazy clip of a crazy cat that was clearly concerned about what was going on in his world. Everyone, I would like to introduce you to Burgers the Cat. All right? 
I want everybody to meet Burger and Fries. Who wants to adopt Burgers the cat? Yes! Oh my goodness. Everybody say goodbye to him, right? We will not see him any longer, all right? Okay, there's a chance you might remember that, right? Something is clearly not right in this cat's world. Burgers is insistent that we know about it, right? When you think of lament, think of Burgers the cat, all right? Think of the word Thundercat or the acronym TCAT and then start the process of authentically relating to God. Lamenting is turning to God and crying out to Him. It is confessing to Him your anguish and letting Him know about what's going wrong in your world And it's asking him to change what's going on by appealing to his character, but ultimately trusting him with his plans. It's turning to God, it's confessing, God, I'm in agony here. Would you please, I'm asking, would you please do something about this? And even if you don't, I'm going to trust in your plans for my life. T-cat. And it's riddled with emotion. First step is to turn to God. Now, here's the thing. A lot of time when the heat is rising and the pressure's on and there's things in our world that are not going right, it is so tempting to turn to everything else but God. For instance, it's so tempting to turn and complain to everyone else when our worlds feel like they're caving in, right? Sometimes we're tempted to turn to mind-numbing rituals, like seeking after false pleasures that will only lead to more problems in our lives after we engage in that which is immoral or forbidden as people scroll through and linger on images they shouldn't look at just to numb the pain for a little bit. Or maybe to quiet the real very problems in your life Your mind-numbing activity of choice is just to engage in endless amounts of endless consumptions of social media or entertainment. It's just like, just need a break. Just need a break with all the craziness. I'm just going to veg out here and just consume. Or just give me a whole bunch of salty things or sweet things. (laughs) Just give me a bottle. Just give me a joint. Give me something that I can turn to to ease this pain. This is what people run to. We run to these things. We run to these things. And some of it works for a very short time. And that tells me there must be a better way. And lament is that better way. 59 prescriptions for you is the better way. Here, try, try this. Try this instead of all these other things. And the Psalms of Lament tap us on the shoulder 
And then they point us in the direction of God Almighty, and they say to us, turn to him. Turn to him. That is what we must do. We must actually turn to him. Look at what David does in Psalm 5. Just try to highlight a few things. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you. And I watch David uses the personal name Yahweh two times in the very first few verses and two more times throughout the remainder in this psalm. He turns to God in his distress. He says, look, you are my king, you are my God. He turns and acknowledges that he needs help from his king and his God. And as he turns, he does what's next. He uses his words. Look. Highlight a different facet of these verses. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groanings, or that could be the word that's closely associated with meditations. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray, O Lord, in the morning. You hear my voice in the morning. I prepare a sacrifice for you and I watch. David is doing this out loud. This isn't just like, I'm just going to have a conversation with God in my mind. Yes, totally do that. But that's not what David is doing here. It is verbal. It's vocal. It's out loud. It's with his words. David turns to God, and then he begins to confess his anguish. He says it out loud. Some of you need to start talking and praying out loud. We get so casual that we're just like, well, I'll just have a communication with God in my mind. Yes, you totally can do that. But some of you need to go pray out loud and confess your anguish to God. Turn to him. Step one. Second step is confess your anguish. And that's the second word that we see in that acronym for TCAT. We want to remember this acronym. We turn to him and then we confess to him. Now, when I used to teach on biblical lament, I actually used to use the word complain there. And it's actually a biblical word, Jeremiah and Jeremiah 12. He says, "Uh, listen to my complaint. It's a great word. We could use it. And there are authors that still use that word complain to describe this step of lamenting. But I think that that word complain has such a negative connotation to it. And it has so much baggage attached to it that it's hard not to accumulate some sense of guilt if we address God in a negative way. So instead of using a word that has a negative connotation, even though it's a great biblical word, I've been switching and using the word confess, which is another biblical word. What I mean by confess is to be completely honest. Completely honest. Don't just say the things that you know ought to sound good to God. Be completely honest. Be forthright about what you're feeling and what's wrong in your world. Confess that. It's not like he doesn't see it. Psalm 5 actually has the same historical context of Psalm 3 and Psalm 4. Absalom, David's son, is breathing down David's neck. And he's been successful in spreading lies about David And in our next section of Psalm 5, David is going to make a confession to God. 
Look at what he says, verses four and six, four through six. He says, he confesses, you're not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. Basically, David says, look, God, based off of your character, I know this is who you are, but this is what's being done to me. And that seems, what's being done to me seems to be running contrary to who you are, and that shouldn't be happening. Currently, David is being lied about. He's being chased by the wicked and evil and deceitful men who apparently are winning the chase, and David doesn't like it. And David knows, based off of God's character, that God doesn't approve of that either. So something, God, must be done. So he confesses to God. We must confess to God that we are struggling here. This is David being completely honest with God. He doesn't do it in an arrogant or demanding way. He actually does it in a very humble way that appeals to God's character. He says, God, wickedness seems to be triumphing here. That's not right. Remember Psalm 1-4? The wicked are to be blown away like the chaff. Remember Psalm 1-5? They shouldn't be able to stand in the day of judgment, but here they are chasing me into the wilderness. He confesses that the wicked seem to be solid as a rock while he feels like he is the one being blown away by the lies and the deceit that they are spreading. And David is letting God know that he is being actively sinned against, and he says it again in verse 9. He says, there's no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat, get this picture, is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. He confesses the anguish that he's in. And then he appeals to God's character. And he moves on to the next step of lament where he asks God to actually do something about it. So he turns to God. He confesses his anguish. And then he is going to ask for intervention. He's going to ask the Lord to do something about his situation. Here David is going to make a very bold request. He turns to God. He confesses the anguish he's in. And then he asks for God to do something about it. And look what he asks in verse 8. Oh, this, oh my goodness, when I studied this, and re, re, I didn't recognize this until later in the week, and I'm like, I can't, this is amazing. This, this is what stuck out to me the most this week. Verse 8, look at what he asks. He says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. People, this is remarkable. Having just described what the wicked were doing, David says, please Don't let me ever go that route. He says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Before he asks God to do anything about the wicked, he says, God, please, please, please let me walk in the way of righteousness. (gasps) 
Yes, I'm in the wilderness. Yes, the wicked seem to be winning. But I would rather be righteous in the wilderness than wicked and prospering only on the surface, is what David says. What a remarkable, bold ask. Make sure that my way is straight, God. God, make your way straight before me. Why? Because David wants to walk in righteousness. Before he appeals to God to do something to anyone else, he says, God, would you do something to me? It's amazing. And after having done that, the most essential thing, getting the log out of his own eyes, so to speak, he asked God to intervene in the situation and deliver a death blow to his enemies. But he says, God, make sure that I'm righteous. Make sure that you lead me. I want to do what you want me to do. That was his bold ask. But then he asked for something to be done about a situation. He says it in verse 10. Make them... The transition from me now to them, make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgression, cast them out, for they have rebelled against, not me, you. You. David doesn't make himself the center of the universe here. And that's what we do in our problems so often. It's all about me. It's all about what I'm bearing. It's all about what I'm dealing with. David doesn't do that. He's being led in righteousness. His path is straight. He says, they're rebelling against you. David's the one in the wilderness. But look at what he says. David doesn't make himself the center. He makes God the center. He says this against you. Even though that he's the one on the run, he makes God be God even in the midst of his trials. This is a bold and appropriate ask based on what David knows to be true about God's character. Because after all, remember Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 really kind of set up all the 150 psalms that we're going to study. Psalm 1-6 says this, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So David asked God to do what only God could do and what God is on record and promised to do. He appeals to God's character, and since David knows God's character, he can do the last step of the process of lament, and he can trust him with whatever plans God has. So he turns to God, he confesses his anguish, he asks boldly for God to do something, but ultimately he says, this isn't about me. This is about you. They've rebelled against you. I want to be led by you. I'm going to trust your plans. Over and above David's feelings, over and above his actual circumstances, David trusts in God's plans. And that's the final step of lament. Basically, it's adopting a thy will be done mindset. Even if that means becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. That's what's been modeled for us perfectly by Jesus. And I think that's what David is taking a stab at doing here in Psalm 5. While in the wilderness, look at what he says, verses 11 through 12. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Wow. 
he moves from groaning in verse 1 to rejoicing in verse 11. He's singing for joy while being screened and protected from the plans of the wicked that have led him in the wilderness. He's like, it's not going to, I'm okay here. David is exulting in God. There's an explosion of joy taking place in David's heart. There is a thunderclap of praise heard coming from his lips as he sings God praises despite his circumstances. David is blessed. He says he's covered with goodwill, with favor, with acceptance from the all-capable God. And he is shielded from any plans of the enemy that are not part of God's plans. That is ultimate victory, people. And the reason David can move from groaning to rejoicing is because he engaged in the process of biblical lament. He turned to God instead of every other thing that might have brought temporary relief for just a season or a moment and then heaped on a whole bunch of guilt. No, he turns to God, he confesses his anguish, he asks for intervention, and he trusts in God's plans. And although his circumstances hadn't changed, David did. He went from groaning to rejoicing. And the same can be for you. You have hard stuff. I know it. I know it. I, I said this to the, to the crowd last week. I mean, there's a lot of people there. I was like, if I could grab each of you by the shoulders and say to you that Jesus is coming back for you, if I had the time and capacity, I would do that. If I could do that here, I would say, look, I know that you have stuff. I know it. I know it. Like, I, I, I'm thinking of people that I've conversed with this week. I'm like, man, I know this, this person. Turn to God. Confess your anguish. Ask for his intervention, starting with you first, then everybody else, and trust his plans. And that will change you. It will turn your groaning to rejoicing because you're shielded and protected. Let's pray. God, we move into a time of communion where we see somebody who did that, who absolutely did that perfectly and modeled for us how to entrust himself to his faithful creator, remaining obedient to what your plans were for him, even if it required great suffering, mockery, ridicule, being spit upon, beard plucked out, those types of things, part of your plan for Jesus, our Savior. And we see him turning to you. We see him confessing his anguish, sweating like drops of blood. He asked for intervention. Take this cup. We, asked, we see massive intervention when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We see him trusting you, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we see him trusting you and your plans as he was resurrected three days later. God, so as we move into this time of communion, I pray that we would remember that sacrifice, that we'd commemorate it, that we'd celebrate it, and we'd do so with great joy, that our groanings would be turned to cries of joy here today. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.